Here is again. One, two, three, four! I believe that the music I heard is a killer. Because a girl should be seen and not heard. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. And Devo plays for Muffy's party. We bring you an act who at first may shock you. The Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Let's go! Hey everybody, I'm Rob. And I'm Joseph. Welcome to the May 1979 edition of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, History of Punk, Puss Punk, and New Wave 1976 to 1986. We are one third of the way through 1979, and the albums that we've examined so far have been pretty damn good. Yeah. But, um, you know, maybe a little low-key and <clears throat> delightful. But <laughs> I think I've used the word um, slight a lot um, so far this season. But that ends here. Yeah. Uh, starting with May, things uh, are really starting to ramp up. And each month... Uh, moving forward is is going to be like more epic than the last. Uh, well, at least until we get to December, which is uh, pretty modest. Mm -hmm. And it starts here in May, where uh, 1979 really kicks into gear with albums from M, The Cure, David Bowie, and this group that we're going to kick things off with uh, from their debut album, this is Family Entertainment by The Undertones. So you think you're so clever, never in doubt, but I've seen you together, put in a Don't get me wrong, I'll say what you are. Mommy wouldn't like it, it's got too far. you something and I, I'm just gonna let the cat out of the bag right now um, I really enjoyed pretty much all the bands that were showing off tonight um, you know the, the albums I mean some of the albums had their ups and downs of course uh, mm -hmm. some of the albums had their absolute ups and nothing else and uh, but nothing to me was a bummer um, mm, and, I and agree. I, yeah and the undertones uh, I mean I wasn't surprised, but I, I find them to be freaking awesome. I just, I love mm. this band and I, I love this mm -hmm. album. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, before we get into, uh, I mean, we're, we're going to have a nice conversation about the undertones, uh, but, uh, we do have some points of business, of course, to take of care course. of. Uh, first and foremost, I want to remind everybody that we are talking about music, music is art, and there is nothing more subjective than art. Uh, this is an opinion show, but even so, we try to be mindful not to get too opinionated because ultimately we are here to celebrate this extraordinary music that was produced during a pretty unique period of time. 
Speaking of which, Professor Rob, um, why don't you educate us a little bit on what was yeah. going on in May of 1979? All right, a little history lesson for May of 1979. Uh, the number one U.S. hit was Reunited by Peaches and Herb. Uh, movies were Winter Kills and Alien, one of my all-time favorites. Uh, there really was no, there's nothing debuting on TV in May of 1979. Um but there were some notable events. Margaret Thatcher became the first female prime minister of the United Kingdom. Uh, Elton John is the first Western pop star to tour the USSR. And White Knight riots occurred in San Francisco as the trial of Henry Milk's killer ends in, less, in a lesser conviction. So a lot going on. Very, very notable uh, month in the year of 1979. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, so uh, some really fun albums to talk to talk about. A couple more like little notes of business. Um, I uh, just want to uh, point out that um, we have later on this month, we have a deep dive. And at the end of this episode, we will announce uh, what artist that we're uh, going to talk about tonight is the uh, subject of that deep dive. But at the top of the show, I just want to let you know that we have a um, an exciting guest lined up for that. But because of scheduling, uh, we are probably not going to be able to release it the third Sunday of the month. It's probably going to be the last Sunday of the month. So something to look forward to. Um, and we'll uh, at the end of the episode we will we will circle back and and talk about that a little bit more. Okay, uh, anything you want to cover before we jump into it? No, I think I think I'm ready to go. You know, I'm just jazzed about about the good music we we've gotten to listen mm. to for this month. I'm I'm stoked yeah. about it all. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it's it's a great playlist and. Um, we we've got a couple like epic albums to talk about for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I think we we just need to start circle back and start talking about the undertones. Uh, the album is the eponymously titled Undertones. That of course is their debut album. Uh, had well. So they're probably their most famous song. I think is Teenage Kicks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was not on the original UK release, but which of course came out in May. But then they reissued it in October of that year. So, so just a couple of months later, they reissued it with Teenage Kicks on it. And then, of course, when they released it here in the United States, it had um, Teenage Kicks on it as well. Uh, so we we are going to treat it like it what it was a hit off of that album. Um, we started out with the song Family Entertainment, of course. Uh, so this is an Irish band. Um, a fair amount of accolades for this album. NME calls it the 50th best album of the 70s. Wow. Q Magazine thinks it's the 90th best British album ever, even though they're Irish. 
And Kerrang! thinks it's the 19th greatest punk album ever. The 19th greatest punk album, really? Yeah, yeah, wow, Ab okay. absolutely. Wow. So um, this is a band I was familiar with um, only because Teenage Kick shows up yeah. on a fair amount of compilations. Never heard the album before. Um, and I think over the years I conflated the undertones with the flesh tones. Oh. <laughs> um, okay. Which a uh, whole different thing. Yeah. And so I think I kind of shied away from the undertones because I'm not that crazy about the flesh tones. So that was an absolute error on my part. Uh, I really like this album. Yeah. You know, um, I wasn't familiar with the album except for Teenage Kicks. And mm -hmm. I've listened to this album a couple times now. I love it. I really mm -hmm. do. And, and the funny thing is, I don't think I really knew, like, I, I knew the song Teenage Kicks. I don't think I could have told you who did it, you know, at the time. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But going back and catching up with this album, I love so much about it. Uh, the vocalists, I think the vocals are great on this album. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. awful. It, it's unique and it's, I don't know, I like the energy. There's so much about it that's good. Mm hmm. Well, I, I, concur i mean it, it's funny because around this time you know there were a lot of a lot of people saying uh oh punk is dead punk is yeah. dead um and this is a pretty good argument for why that isn't true and this just this just sounds like a great punk album it's i can't imagine it being one of my favorite punk albums but it is it is really good you know, you know, I kind of, I kind of balk at the idea of uh, being number nineteen on the greatest punk albums of all time, but um, you know, it's definitely one of the best punk albums of all time. <laughs> you know, the yeah. the music is totally on point, and and I think besides the music, because the music is is punk rock, it totally is, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, I don't want to demean it by calling it standard, but everybody was playing you know, everybody was playing a similar kind of music. I go back to the vocals as being, you take really good punk rock and you add some unique vocals to it and they're going to be big, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's again, going back and listening to it retroactively is, is, is kind of funny, but uh, no, I think, I think they're great. I think they're great. And uh, you know, yeah. I'm going to be listening to this album for a while. So well, we have referenced Teenage Kicks so many times that I think oh, we're we're sort of obligated to to play it, um, so that those those people who are not familiar with it can get a little taste of, um, you know, what put the undertones on the map. So, here it is, not off of the original release, but on the re-release just a couple of months later, this is Teenage Kicks. That's 
just like I remember it, it brings uh, brings back some <laughs> brings back some good memories. I I just absolutely love them. I I you know I have mm-hmm. nothing really mm-hmm. to say except for yeah uh, you know listening to this album has has kind of done a lot for me this, as far yeah. as bringing back that nostalgia. So well, for me, the two songs that we've heard are like far and away the two high points on oh, yeah. the album. That's um, true. And, you know, if if the whole album, if I liked the whole album as much as I liked these two songs, it would be a shoo-in for, for my top ten of the year. Uh, yes. But but I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, I sh- really should listen to it several more times, but um, I, I hate to use the word slight again, but it, it just, it feels, knowing what's coming down the pike, it, it just feels a little bit slight, but... Um, I would be shocked if this album doesn't appear on at least one person's best of list um, at the end of the season when they're submitted. And I think it is an absolute contender and one that should be considered for sure. Yeah. And that, again, is the Undertones debut album, eponymously titled Debut Album. Okay, let's um, move. Oh, I guess we should note um, that we are recording this episode just one week after we recorded the the um, Patrick Fitzgerald episode. So we had half the time that we normally do to prepare for it. And Rob, I, I imagine you're fine with me saying this. You had a crazy week yeah. this week. <laughs> that is the truth. So, so you have um, listened to all of the albums um, mm-hmm. a couple of times, uh-huh. but uh, because we, we just decided because we knew that you were going to have a crazy week, I just picked out all of the songs. Yeah. Um, so and when I was doing it, I was actually going, trying to second guess you and go, oh, well, what would, <laughs> what would Rob pick? <laughs> yeah. You know, so I was definitely like, trying to keep you as entertained as possible uh, wow. putting together this playlist but <laughs> as you know this is a bit of an anomaly because usually the playlist is about 50 50 and yeah. this time it was all me uh so that's probably going to pop up in our conversations yeah, uh, yeah, moving yeah. forward about these songs so just to keep everyone in the loop so let's move on to the patty smith groups um last album as the patty smith group uh an album called wave and um this was produced by todd rugren uh and of course the band breaks up after this album the song dancing barefoot which is included on this album rolling stone thinks is the 323rd greatest song of all time and um, you love mm-hmm. Patti Smith. I do. I do. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. In fact, this album, um, going back and, and listening to this album again, I I got a whole a whole new respect and a whole new love for Patti Smith. So just familiarizing myself with the with the tracks on this album, um, mm-hmm. you know. And and by the way, I just want to say it that I think you did a fantastic choice as far as picking. Not only this song from the Patti Smith album, but but pretty much all the songs from from this playlist, 
<laughs> so Woo-hoo, I'm just going to come me. and say, you know, I, I kind of nodded and said, yeah, I totally would have picked that one, you know? <laughs> so, but anyway, no, I, I am, I'm a huge fan of Patti Smith. So this album to me sounds very different than yeah. any of her other stuff. Um, and I'm curious how it stacks up for you. You know, it kind of steps out of what I really like about Patti Smith. It, it, I want to say it it's a little showier it's a little more I don't want to call it mainstream because it's not because she still hits the mark as far as what she's singing about and and how she delivers it but it is a whole new vibe well I I think it's totally fair to say that it's more mainstream than her other releases no that's absolutely true that is absolutely true um you know, it's it's not super poppy, is what I I want to want to mm. get at, and and but mm-hmm. you're right, it, it is more mainstream, um, but she still hits the mark on on her delivery as far as what she's singing about, and you know, she still has like this edgy feel to her, even though this is a more mainstream album. So mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it, it it it's not my favorite Patti Smith, but I I found myself really liking it. Yeah, I was very surprised by this album. I mean, the uh, it the first song, first track on the album, um, Frederick, is like her most sing-songiest mm-hmm. song that I have ever heard, and um, you know, it feels like um, not not certainly not all of the songs, and definitely not the song that we're going to listen to, um, but. I'd say the lion's share of the songs sounds like she's trying to position herself in more of a a pop thing. You know, artists like Linda Rodstad and and uh, Fleetwood Mac that were doing that sort of um, folk rock pop thing in the late '70s. Um, and you know, Patty Smith, she is she has always been um, an artist with a lot of ragged edges, right? Yeah. That is sort of her appeal. That is why she is considered the godmother of punk. And I, I just it the the low points on this album are the songs that sounds like she's she's um, making a serious bid for like mainstream radio action Ah, you know mm -hmm. that stuff is not working for me and the the stuff that is is sort of the 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 raggedest and the the edgiest and the 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 most rough around the edges is actually really working for me as opposed to a lot of the other albums where she does that so I, i think that that the just the approach that they're taking as far as their production and everything the balance is exactly right to that kind of more produced stuff but when she is a little bit more unhinged in her songwriting and uh. her performance um so a lot of this stuff doesn't work for me but the stuff that does I I actually really do like um, like considerably more than I typically like uh, Patty Smith's. Oh. So it's a it's I don't know how I feel about this album, yeah. but, you but sound there conflicted. are several. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are several songs that I that I really like. Um, 
And the song that, that I picked to feature tonight is a song called Citizenship. That is two words. Um, it is a pretty smart, sharp commentary um, about, uh, you know, being an, an American and being an American immigrant. Uh, and her her performance is excellent. It's It's got a lot of edge to it, but she's also very focused and grounded. And the music is great. The music is fantastic on this song. Yeah. They were riding in Chicago Moving in L.A. 68, it broke the yardbirds We were broke as well I want to say I am glad to hear you say that. Um, <laughs> I am glad to hear that you said that, you know, the things that worked for you. There, there are these things that worked for you. Patti Smith still in those songs kept, in, kept her edge, uh, even though there was still some, like, you know, softness around it, I guess. I don't know. But, um, I, you know, this is one of those songs that I think I would have picked off of this album. And uh, mm -hmm. so, so I was really happy to to hear to hear that you picked it. Um, you know, I I do think it is it is in my mind one of the highlights of the album. So that is Patti Smith's uh, last album with uh, the Patti Smith Group. In fact, I don't. So I think this is the last Patti Smith album we're going to discuss as part of like the month to month rundown because mm -hmm. I don't think she releases another album until 1988 which is out of our purview right right um that's I we are definitely going to continue talking about her of course because you can't have an ongoing conversation about uh 70s and 80s punk and post-punk without her coming up um and Patti Smith, so far, none of her albums have made it on to the end of the season top 10. Um, and keeping that in mind, I, I think that I think it's pretty unlikely that this one is going to make an appearance. Uh -huh. But you never know. Are you considering it for yours? Um, you know, it's, it's going to be hard. Um, I thought about that. And I, I might... I just have to hear what else is coming because, you know, to me it still feels too early to to say unless it's a solid. You know, there are some that are just solid to me, and I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm, that's going mm -hmm. in there. Um, mm -hmm. Patty Smith is a maybe. Um, it just depends what else comes down the line, and I, I, I hate saying that, but yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of good music coming out. Yeah, it's 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 such a a weird dichotomy of of songs on this album that I, that I, I I have a hard time well except for there's you I mean but you know I, I I listen to these songs and I have a hard time 
imagining a lot of people liking the two different extremes that you hear on this album. So one extreme would be the first song on the album, uh, the uh, song called Frederick. And the other extreme would be a song like Citizenship or mm -hmm. uh, Fire of Unknown Origin, which I know wasn't on the original release. Uh, but um, yeah, I, 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 yeah. So I don't have anything more to say about yeah. this. I'm ready to move on if you are. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's see what else is coming. Okay. We're gonna talk about the debut of um, from an artist called M, also called Robin Scott, also called M. Robin Scott. The the album is released under the the name M, but I am I'm not even gonna try to remember to refer to him as M. I'm just gonna call him M. Robin Scott because that's how I've always been. I've uh -huh. always known him. Okay. Um, so. This is an album, this is the debut album by um, M. Robin Scott. He's basically a one man. I mean, he's he's the driving force be behind this music. He, he pulls in friends and family. Uh, I think his wife sings on a couple of songs off of this, this album. Mm -hmm. So if the name isn't ringing a bell, there is a song, uh, his most famous song you are definitely familiar with. Uh, so let's just play just two or three seconds of it to refresh your memory about why M was a big deal in 1979. So now everybody has their point of reference and they go, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> that's M. Um, so the album, New York, London, Paris, Munich. Um, the, the song pop music was a huge hit internationally. It, um, it hit number one here in the United States, mm -hmm. depending on which charts you look at. So according to Cashbox, it did not hit number one but billboard said that it did in november uh but it was a, a another one of the very first new wave songs to um you know hit the top of the charts here in the united states and um it, do you do you like this album yeah no i totally love this album um and and i know why you love the album okay go ahead and it's, tell me it's because of the hand claps, right? <laughs> because so the hand hand claps were done by David Bowie. Yeah, that's great. Oh, no, I love this album. I didn't realize those were David David Bowie's hand claps. Uh, There's, I would love to hear the story behind that. Yeah. <laughs> that's one hell of a collaboration. Yeah, and and to be noted, it should be noted. He did hand claps and only hand claps. Yeah, that's all that's he's it. credited for. <laughs> that's it. Um, it. You know, it's interesting about, not to go off on David Bowie or go on about Wait, David just Bowie. A... I'm just saying it's interesting <laughs> so... that there are those kind of interactions in in music and David Bowie's I, music where you'll just have I, somebody, you know, I know do a thing. exactly what happened. Uh huh. 
this band got together the the only band in the history of the world where all of the members only had one hand and then they went oh there's david bowie and so hey, they hey, pulled him in yeah can you clap for us i mean we try but this is all that happens <laughs> Okay, anyways. <laughs> well, they, they do a damn good job for just having one hand each. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I love this album and it's got the it's got that sound that that I like. You know, this is mm-hmm. this is like a very um you know, it's fun, it's funny, it's theatrical. There's mm-hmm. there's like this this big band, big energy, uh almost cartoony kind of energy to yeah. it, you know, and, and that is what I like about uh, a lot of a lot of new wave music. And this guy, uh, you know, I, I honestly, the only song that I remember hearing from him is pop music. Um, yep. So this album was like, well, you know, to, to throw an old word around, it was delightful. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, really was. Well, this, this album is very pop um, and... You know, it is kind of inherently new wave just because of all the synthesizers and stuff. But there is yeah. still, you can, you you know that they are actually probably thinking more like disco and funk and pop uh, when they were doing it than punk or post-punk. Uh, and, you know, this is, so new wave, new wave is sort of notorious for having one hit wonders. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It, when you go and listen to a playlist that is a one-hit wonders playlist, the uh, depending on the playlist, probably like close to half of them are going to be new wave songs. And yeah. um, pop music is probably going to be one of them. And we're going to see a lot of artists where, I mean, honestly, I don't feel like other than pop music where everything just sort of like fell into place. I don't think that there's anything on this album that screams like, oh, this is brilliant songwriting mm-hmm. or this is brilliant arrangements or anything. Um, but it's all very nice and fun and yeah. light. Um, and, yeah, it's definitely you know, that. yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely sort of the setting the um, standard for new wave uh, one-hit wonders. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, setting the standard for new wave one-hit wonders. Yeah, he's a, <laughs> he's a pioneer, yeah. M. Robin for Scott. People who want, who, for people who want to make one big song and that's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the rest of the album is a lot of fun, and to illustrate that, we're gonna yes. we're gonna listen to a, cu- a couple of songs. So Cowboys and the Indians is probably the, the other the the song off of this album that kind of is closest to pop music as far as like matching the the approach and the energy and the style. I've got a holster for my gun. Silver spurs on my boots.
it feels so playful and i mean he's playing cowboys and indians really it's it's it is fun and that is that is a word that comes to mind automatically when i when i hear this album but Mm -hmm. that song right there it just reminds me of childhood you know Mm -hmm. um and it might also have to do with the fact that this song was was out when i was a child but uh, (laughs) but it's you're right this is he is a pioneer of this what we had just heard the the good news is that this album is not just all variations of the same kind of song um they don't they they stick in their lane as far as the instrumentation that you know they're not you don't hear banjo on one song and then a whole brass section on a on another song but there is a a nice variety of of different approaches to to the songs from song to song and to illustrate that the second song we're going to listen to is a song called moonlight and muzak that's m u z a very different than the one we heard before it um the energy is different but it is still whimsical it's still very mm-hmm. clear um mm-hmm. it's still very crisp i i am going going to go back again to to talking about vocals his his delivery of his vocals right here is just super cool you know he's mm-hmm. he's mostly talking through the lyrics but i don't I don't know. No, and that's not entirely true because he does. He gets a little sing-songy in this one. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's it was it was a lot of fun. Again, I I can't help it. It's just you know every album in here to me was was just wonderful, and this is no no different. Yeah, I, and and I think both of these songs sort of illustrate um, that. You know, the songwriting itself on this album is nothing extraordinary, right. but the execution of the songs are are really um, the you know the he he adds a lot of charm to yeah. these songs just just in the choices that he he makes as far as as far as executing it. So um, I like this album a lot. Uh, I don't think I can take it seriously enough to um seriously consider it for my top 10 um but i would not be surprised if it shows up on somebody else's yeah it's not it's not going to make mine either but um i'm i'm probably going to listen to this album a few more times Mm -hmm. so that is m's um debut album new york london paris munich Let's move on to uh, another one of your favorites, Rob. That, of course, is Ian Dury and the Blockheads, an album called Do It Yourself. Um, This is not 
we are talking about this be, because it's Ian Dury. We are not talking about it because it sounds anything remotely like punk or post-punk or new <laughs> right. wave. <laughs> right. Uh, right. We, we've got a lot of um, disco and funk and pop, and it, it feels like they're... Uh, you know, his team, his managers, the label or whatever, I wouldn't be surprised if they were like seriously eyeing the <laughs> success of um, Randy Newman and going, ooh, how can we do like a a dirty British version of that? Oh, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I'm totally speculating, but that's just sort of like what popped into my brain as I was listening um, to to the album. So this album, if you go to it on Spotify, um, every single song has a little E for explicit. I've only come across that once before, and that was Ian Dury's first album. (laughs) 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 And um, so, you know, there's there's a phrase that I'm going to use now that I'm going to use for another album this episode, which is aggressively cheerfully offensive yeah um and i i well i think just sort of in general that applies to ian dury at least everything that i've heard from him um in in this case in ian dury's case i think the offensive part is just the the sexually explicit um, the profanity and the sexually explicit stuff um, there, of which you will hear um, in the song that we feature tonight. Um, this is a song, kind of an unusual, I mean, it's not unusual for the album, um, kind of is a good, good ambassador for what the rest of the album is like, but still an odd dichotomy of, of different elements within the song that I find kind of intriguing. It's a song called Uneasy Sunny Day Hotsy Totsy. Bank from the banks, we hold the rent. Shitters are awake and the landlord's bent. It's time that the baby's kept quiet. No, it ain't. Open up the nicks, close down the schools. The law is a print, not fit to write the rules. It's time that the baby's kept quiet. No, they're cool. Time that the baby's kept quiet. No, it isn't. Don't be silly. Uneasy, sunny day. Hotsy totsy. Uneasy, hotsy totsy. Sunny day. Question your misalignment with your manky job. Squat on your alignment for thirty bucks. You know I love, I love Ian Dury. Uh, this is quite a departure from the type of stuff that we've we've heard from him before, um, and it's also a departure of, from the kind of Ian Dury that I like. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's still hard for me not to like it. I wouldn't call this my favorite album on the set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he's 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 got that sort of like lovable uncle thing. That, definitely. On. Yeah. yeah. The, well, the lovable uncle that that your your mom kind of eyes askance at, you know, she's yeah, 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 because <laughs> he's a little sketchy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and and I must say this. I mean, the uh, one of the the notable things about Ian Dury is that um, the the mu- the execution of the music, whatever choices they make about what style they're they're going to do, 
always excellent. I mean, yeah. the execution of these songs is kind of flawless. Right. Um, maybe, maybe even to its detriment. You know, it doesn't. Maybe that's part of it. It is so um, uh, slick. I mean, it yeah, really is kind of yeah. kind of slick. Um, fortunately, the the uh, the eccentricity of Enduri and the the way he writes songs help helps kind of balance that. But you know, if the music had a little bit more, a uh, little sharper edges, um, mm-hmm. you know, it might be a little bit more compelling. But still, um, a lot of fun. And um, you know, good dirt, good clean, dirty fun. Yeah, that's absolutely. that's what Ian Dury is kind <laughs> of all about. Um, so that is uh, Ian Dury and the Blockheads album called "Do It Yourself." I can't imagine that um, <laughs> it's going to show up on anyone's uh, top ten of the year, but you never know. Um, you never know. Moving on to the album that I anticipate the liveliest conversation of the evening, or at least one of them. Um, That is the debut from a, well, the one and only album uh, from a band called The Boys Next Door, kind of. Um, (laughs) we'll, We'll get into that in a second. It is called Door Door. And I... You know, so Rob, you know how I operate. I like to listen to the albums and pick mm-hmm. the songs and everything before I do any research because yeah. I, do, I I like to be as, fr- assuming of course it's an album in a band that I'm not familiar with. Right. Um, and then once I do all that, then I go and do my research because I like to, you know, have as clean a slate as possible when I experience this music for the first time. Sure. So I went, I listened to it, I went, oh, Rob is gonna like this. I picked a couple of songs, one song that really felt like uh, a Rob song. Yeah, yeah. Um, listened to it, put it on the playlist, listened to the playlist for the last couple of days, sat down this afternoon to actually do my research, and went, oh, what? <laughs> So, um, the uh, the boys next door released this album, and then they changed their name to the birthday party. Yeah, and of course, we most of us probably know the birthday party because that is the band that um, launched Nick Cave's musical career. Right. And um, I always thought that the the birthday party was his first band and as far as i can tell it's it's the same band they just yeah. changed their name yeah. it really um, that, that really is the case they just changed yeah. the name yeah yeah but you know i and i have been listening to nick cave forever you know since sure. i was in my late teens and it just didn't occur to me that i was listening to nick cave <laughs> it just in fact i was going you know, I'd already kind of written down my notes and stuff. And in my notes, it says, um, least favorite part of this is the vocals. Oh. <laughs> but I think it's, and so 
Nick Cave has gone on record, and I'm not putting words in his mouth. Um, the This is a direct quote, pretty uh-huh. much. He hates this album. Uh-huh. He he absolutely hates it. And um, I actually like it. I like it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but I think that he is not singing the kind of music that is ideal for him. Right. 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 So this is um, his voice is um, not really working with this approach um, nearly as well as once he because it's so contained. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas with the birthday party and with his solo stuff, he just, you know, he he is uh, just a, a. powder keg of ragged emotions and explosions and all of that and here he's really just singing you know singing punk songs um and i just don't think that his voice is suited for it as as much as this stuff that he's going to start doing um it it feels like a first it feels like a first album for him (laughs) Yeah, however, you know, in in his criticism, he he criticized the 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 music and the um he thought it was all all too arranged and too clever. But um I got to tell you, I really like it. I think the mm-hmm. music is very compelling. Yeah. Yeah, well, this album um so you were surprised. I'll tell you what what surprised me. Um, I got the playlist. As we have already mentioned, I didn't pick any of the songs because I've had one hell of a week. Um, mm-hmm. I got the playlist. I started playing it, not even knowing what was coming up next. Um, but as soon as I played it, I knew this song. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so, so stoked about this. I was so excited. So I used to play this album at MWR when I was doing doing that. Um, uh-huh. And so I know this album pretty well. And, I mean, I know this. I know Birthday Party. I know The Bad Seeds. I know everything Nick Cave has done. And I, mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan. So I, I almost fell over. <laughs> When I heard this song, the the first song that I picked was the one that I went, "Oh, this is this is Rob's jam." I know Rob well enough to know uh, <laughs> that he is he's gonna love this song. So let's listen to "Dive Position." Again, this is a song I used to play on the radio quite a bit uh, when I was doing MWR. And um, I think there's still a hint of Nick Cave. You know, he carries, you could tell that he carries some of this with him. Um, Listening to it now, I feel so sheepish that I did not connect the dots. Because, of course, of course it's Nick Cave. Yeah. So the second song is a song called The Night Watchman. And this is, uh, I forgive myself a little bit more for not, 
not catching on that it was Nick Cave when I listened to this song. Um, so it's a li- he's sounding a little less Nick Cave-ish and a little bit more generic. enjoyed the album i felt like there was a bit of a vacancy there and i don't know how to explain that i don't yeah yeah now that i agree with it's Uh it's it's almost like too a little well definitely compared to the birthday party it's it's very uh kind of straight laced and regimented Uh right yeah so i mean Vacancy is the only word I can I can you know use that that works well enough I think but that there is mm-hmm. definitely that yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well that is the boys next door only only release called Door Door. Of course they uh, will change their name to the birthday party. I think the band stays completely intact. Yeah, they do. Um, and we, of course, will be talking a lot about the birthday party moving forward. And um, I am not too optimistic that this is going to uh, show up on any lists, but you never know. Could be. Not mine, unfortunately, but maybe something mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. do down the road. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. David Bowie releases his 13th album. God, 13 albums already, already. by 1979. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, the Lodger, this is the third and final installment of his Berlin trilogy, uh, had a, well, the hit, the mild hit at the time was Boys Keep, Keep Swinging. But I think the song DJ has, over the years, become um, a lot more uh, popular and sort of the the famous song off of this album, uh, more so than Boys Keep Swinging. We, of course, talked about this album when we talked about the first half of David Bowie's career in... Well, it was the very first deep dive episode that we did in season one. And um, for some reason, that was the only album that we, um, or one of the only albums that we only featured one song off of. So I thought that we needed to pick two for tonight. Uh, Always happy to hear um, from David Bowie for sure. So let's kick it off with a song called Red Money. How oh, can you feel in the way that a man's not a man? Can you see it in the sky? But the landscape is too high, like a nervous disease. It's been there all along, it will tumble on the sky. Cancel. Tumbling 
I need to go back and look at my notes from the deep dive that we did with David Bowie. I remember not being too, you know, too interested in the Berlin trilogy. Um, mm -hmm. But, and it, and it might have to do with the fact that I was listening to all that music together. You know, mm -hmm. but when I go mm -hmm. and I listen to just this album, maybe side by side with The Boys Next Door, uh, next to Ian Dury, I, I, I really warmed up to this album. And and I think that the choice of songs that you picked w w are amazing. I think they're great. Well, this is by far my favorite of the Berlin trilogy. Um, I know a lot of critics are exactly the opposite. Uh, but for me, my objection to this phase um, of his career is the, um, I always feel like the albums come to a grinding halt when, when they go into the sort of ambient instrumental mm -hmm. experimental keyboard stuff, which is really not present here. Uh, so that goes a long way. Um, but I just think that the the music, um, the approach to how they construct the music is uh, really odd and in inventive, but also uh, pretty catchy. And I think that um, Red Money is a good example of that, for sure. Yeah, that's that is correct. Now, Rob, you know when... I'm picking songs um, for the playlist. One of my very, very top considerations is color coordination. You know this about me, right? <laughs> oh, of course. Much like your socks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh, with that in mind, I, of course, had to pick the other song off this album with the word red in it so it wouldn't clash. So let's listen to the song Red Sails. David Bowie's 13th studio album called The Lodger. It is probably going to make my top 10 list, I, I think. Ah, um, nice. uh, I, I, I anticipate, I think it has a real shot on making mm -hmm. the final list as well. Mm -hmm. um, it is it is a, a, a big league David Bowie album. Yeah. It, yeah. it really is. Well, it's got a chance of making mine. I'll tell you that right now. Fisher Z. Um, their debut album is called Word Salad. Um, this is probably my least favorite um, album uh, on this playlist tonight. Um, the The musicianship the craftsmanship is impeccable um 
for sure. And before I get into my objections to this, I want to hear where you're at with it. Uh, I like the album. It's stuff that I haven't heard before. Um, Fisher's E is totally new to me. And uh, so I've got nothing to nothing besides the albums that we're hearing tonight to, to weigh it against. Um, it's certainly not my favorite album tonight and might be closer to the bottom, but yeah, I, I don't see that there's anything wrong with them. I actually, I actually kind of enjoyed the album. Mm -hmm. uh. So I would describe this album or the band as they appear on this album uh, as like, what would the Who sound like if they were New Wave? I just, this sounds like the Who too much for me. Um, there, there are two bands that kept popping in my brain as I was listening to this, and it's the Who and Rush. And, mm. you know, part of the reason, or a large chunk of the reason why I gravitated to uh, punk and New Wave is because it's sort of like as a as a youngster as a teenager to me it was the perfect sort of like music rebelling against the music that my friends hippie parents were listening to uh -huh. and so i just i have this hang up about certain bands which is to, i totally take responsibility for but um, on the on the top of the list are the Who and Rush, uh. and I'm just hearing so much <laughs> of it. And yes, before anyone writes in, I am aware that a lot of really great punk bands are heavily influenced by the Who, in particular. I'm thinking specifically of the Jam, and you can hear the influences, but they never try. They never sound like the who they never sound like they're trying to sound like the who right. uh we're here and it's it's really in the vocals i mean it just uh the vocalist really is just it sounds intentional i i don't know if it is or not but there are a lot of pretty uncanny roger daltrey um you know <laughs> imitation yeah. roger daltrey he's a lead singer of the who yeah, right yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess I'm just sort of a shallow boob, but I can't get past that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, and it doesn't matter whether or not it's it's intentional. If you're hung up on it, man, it's going <laughs> to it's going to paint the way you feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just I get very irritated on an emotional level when I listen to this this album. But intellectually there's a lot of admirable stuff going on you know, mm -hmm. here yeah. um some some very uh well-crafted adventuresome um uh, approaches that they take to the songs um and if it was done by a different vocalist i'd probably like it way more um yeah. and who knows may maybe i'll get over this hang up but the song that I picked is um, the song that sounds the least Who-like, 
and so therefore is probably not a very good ambassador for what the rest of the album <laughs> sounds like. But it is a song called Lies. Right, it doesn't sound like the Who. Um, I don't. I don't think it sounds like Rush either. But uh, you know, I, I listened to the whole album. The last time I heard it was today, this afternoon, and uh, and I, I don't know what that sound is. You know, it, and I don't know. Maybe there's some Who in there. I I, I guess I could uh, I could agree with that. But uh, uh, it's it's really the vocals. It's yeah. the 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 sound of his voice, but also the the choices that melodically that yeah. he's making um, that that I just I can't get past it. That's 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 interesting. <laughs> the Cure. You've heard of the Cure, right? Oh, you know, yeah. I think uh, I I might have even gone to a concert or two of theirs back in the day. I. You know that was the that was the band that the lead singer of the Glove was in before he formed the Glove. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs> we had some kind of connection to Susie and the Banshees too, I think. Yeah. <laughs> no, of course. Uh, the Cure is one of your all-time favorites. A lot oh, of people's all-time yeah, favorites. Yeah, yeah. It, beloved, they beloved. Are, they are way up high on my list. That's for sure. Yeah, amazing band. So their debut album is released in May. Three Imaginary Boys. Later it will be released um, with a different lineup of songs um, in the U.S. called uh, Boys Don't Cry, which is what I know it as. Um, and I don't, I don't know that there were any like at the time, any real big hits off of it, but it has it has become a legendary album for sure. Yeah, uh, one of one of my very favorite Cure albums. Of course, you're way bigger Cure fan than I am. Yeah, well, um, it is one of my favorite albums, and I think partly it's it's one of my favorite albums because you know they do this thing where. Um, you can almost you can chart their progression you can chart their growth and and this sounds like the cure when they get their start you know what I mean um, I I love it I, I love the energy and I, I love just everything about this album you're right no big hits but it's a yeah. brilliant album well and it, it is probably their um, sort of tiniest yeah. most most yeah. brittle sounding yeah. which i actually really like Abs yeah absolutely it's gritty it's, some of the cure stuff is like so dense that it it feels like it's kind of get getting bogged down mm -hmm. in in its own denseness um and this is just really um like bright and 
springy and the energy it's very crisp and clean yeah 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 rolling stone by the way thinks it's the 438th greatest album of all time just an fyi (laughs) so what is your favorite song on uh, off of this album just out of curiosity i don't know i love i just i enjoy the album i think i do enjoy the second half better than i like the first half so well that doesn't bode well for my picks because i think both of my picks were off of the first yeah, yeah half well, of the album <laughs> yeah yeah they're good they're still good songs yeah yeah they're they're great songs uh the first one is grinding halt You don't feel like they're overproduced. Um, you don't feel like they are just like they're this big, you know, top forty pop band. Uh, yeah. Although they did become that later, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, no, it's it's good stuff. It's really yeah. good. I like this. Yeah, it's a good choice. Yeah, very 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 stripped down sound. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Pre- pretty much throughout the whole album. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, really appeals to me. So, second song we're going to check out is a song called Accuracy. in this song really sticks out to me um i i keep going back with all the albums that we're listening to in 79 and and well even 76 to 78 uh, 79 um there's that kind of throwing back to the the 50s and early 60s guitar in music you know um and, and i feel like the cure maybe has a little bit of that okay to be clear um uh, are you talking about the like the sound, the timber, or are you talking about the execution, the the rhythm and the style? That the rhythm played? and the style. Really. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, the rhythm and the style, and and I mean it's definitely intentional. You know, there's these guys have had influences that date back twenty years, so that's gonna be you know that's gonna be there. Um, mm-hmm. But but I like that. I like I like that little twang, you know, that oh man, it's just I don't know, it's good. I like the guitar in this one. And it's got some good bass <laughs> all through mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. 
a good choice of, of picks on your part, by the way. I think I probably would have, uh, this would have been on, you know, my list of, of songs to choose for this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that is The Cure's uh, debut album, Three Imaginary Boys. So the question is not if it's going to be on the top oh. 10 at the end of the, the season. <laughs> the question is how high up is yeah. this going to be on yeah. the list? Um, Absolutely. And I anticipate it's going to going to be in the top five. I doubt it's going to be number one. Mm. Mm. Stranger things have stranger things have happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. That's definitely true. Uh, but I would be surprised if it's in the the uh, bottom five. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Um, talk about iconic. Talk about iconic albums for sure. So every album that we've talked about tonight um, was released in May of 1979. We have one more slot left, and so we're going to address an album that um, was released in 1979. We don't know what month, uh, so we're sticking it here. And this is uh, the debut album from a band called The Soft Boys, entitled A Can of Bees. And yeah, so <laughs> I this is the first time I think that I've ever heard The Soft Boys. I knew that, that they existed. Mm-hmm. Um, my point of reference always was, oh, that was the band that Robin Hitchcock of Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians was yeah. in, yeah, um, right. in the seventies and eighties. And that's what stopped me right there because not a big fan of, you know, Robin Hitchcock, how, you know, when I first discovered him, what I was familiar with was his his 80s sort of like smug psychedelic hipster stuff that he was doing with the <laughs> Egyptians, which yeah. absolute turn off for me. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't say that I was dreading this album, but I was I wasn't, uh, you know, chomping at the bit. So I was very, very pleasantly surprised. Uh, I mentioned earlier that there were two albums where the phrase um, aggressively, cheerfully offensive <laughs> comes up. <laughs> and this is the other one, although the, uh, in a different way. So it's not that there's a ton of profanity or dirty imagery, um, but rather that they they are just um, tackling issues um, and very, very un-PC, you know, in today's terms. But it's hard for me to take seriously because it's so over the top that it really is pretty clear that it's satire. Um, and I think the, the musicianship on this album is excellent. Yeah. So where, where are you at with a can of bees? It was totally new to me. Yeah. I, I had never heard the soft voice before. Um, I actually had a little bit of a chance to do some research on this band. Um, which uh, I think may have painted my, you know, my uh, 
not painted my enjoyment, but but definitely painted how I how I see the band or how I feel about the band. Um, but I am gonna want to listen to it more. I I think I I liked, you know, I liked a couple of songs on the on the album, and uh, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to to kind of feel it out, you know, before I make any any judgments on them. I don't think they're bad. I don't think yeah. they're bad at all. Well, I was really torn with the selection of songs because uh-huh. I, I was like, uh, I felt like, oh, this album is a bit of a minefield. But yeah. but then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to lean into it because um, uh, the, you know, it's pretty clear, particularly the second song we listened to, so over the top that it's pretty yeah. clear that it's satire, that is actually, um, they're, they're trying to make some sort of social uh, commentary about how asinine that particular uh uh, point of view is, uh, mm-hmm. but yet it is really easy to misinterpret, um, or it is open for lots of different interpretations that, for sure. Th- well, um, and that that particular tune had me scratching my head a few times. <laughs> I am not even kidding you. I, I had to go, I had to rewind it and say, wait, now what did I just hear, and what exactly does that mean? So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and so we so so I just I'm I'm leaning into it. I picked two the two most sort of overtly um, offensive yeah. songs, and yeah. part of that is because musically I think they're two of the most compelling songs. Yeah, you know. So truth. if they had had different lyrics, um, then I still would have picked them um, because the the musicality on both of these songs is absolutely top notch. It's really good. This is a really tight band with a with a large musical vocabulary. Yeah. I mean, almost to the point where a lot of it could could even be considered in a way sort of progressive rock because of all of the the choices that they're making, but they do it in a very non like prog way. Right. Um, so the first song we're going to listen to is Lepo and the Jews. So that's J O O V E S. Without leaves that pass it by No time to sigh All them pretty women Planted in a row You see them in the newspapers But you can't have them No, 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 no They jump on anything that ma 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 Oh, a couple of things that I forgot to mention is that uh, you know, um, the soft boys 
weren't together for very long. I think they released a total of three albums. Um, and then when they broke up, of course, Robin Hitchcock went on to form Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians. And another member went on to become a founding member of Katrina and the Waves. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He, and, he, he actually wrote that famous song, too, Walking on Sunshine. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, this if you're thinking, ooh, this kind of sounds like an album where they might have a cover of John Lennon's Cold Turkey, you would be right. <laughs> you know, I was wondering if that was going to happen, and, and sure enough... <laughs> So the second song, um, a a more, an even more outrageously offensive song, yeah. um, in a truly uh, cartoony way, is the song called "Sandra's Having Her Brain Out," and they are talking literally. Sandra's having her brain out now, and she feels all right. Like a slot machine Like a pinball hoop You don't really need a brain To be a brain If you're a girl It's like tonsils They're more trouble than they were Okay. <laughs> what were they thinking? I'm. I mean, I really. Again, the music is great, and like I said, I. I can't not like this album, you know, because of that. But the lyrics to the songs are hard to live with. Um, I just. Don't I don't know. know. I mean, they're they're so over the top that yeah. I, I just. I think you have to take them as satire. I mean, I okay. I I can't. I can't second guess what somebody was thinking, but it seems pretty clear to me that that, that was the intention. But yeah. you know, the seventies they were they were different times for sure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and so that um, is all of the albums that we have slotted to cover uh, tonight. So we definitely need to wrap things up. Once again, we have a deep dive coming up uh, at the end of this month. And so, Rob, before I ask you what artists we're going to be doing this on, um, I will I will uh, ask you a different question instead, which is, is there a reason why we only featured one Patti Smith song? off of wave is there well because we're going to be covering a lot of patty smith songs when we do the deep dive <laughs> how's that that's it <laughs> i knew there yeah. was a reason there yes. is a good reason so we are we are finally getting to patty smith um yeah. uh look looking back i think probably i would have i would have redone it so that we we covered her in season one because uh, it only makes sense, but better late than never. Um, 
and we uh, don't know for certain, but I think uh, I think we've got a, a pretty exciting brand new guest to join us for that. Um, Looking forward to so, that. So everybody stick around for that. Once again, we will not um, be uh, tackling June of 1979 next month. We're going to take a breather for a month, but we will at the, after the fade out on this episode, we will list the albums from a June and July, I think that we are we are going to cover when we get back from our little hiatus so stick around for that thank you rob so many great albums yeah Um, what a great what a great playlist wait until you get to june and july oh no i'm excited (laughs) epic yeah Okay, everybody, we will talk to you um, at the end of the month. Thank you, Rob, and I will talk to you soon. All right, see ya. June and July, we'll be covering the Tourist album, The Tourist. Chelsea, the album is Chelsea. Cars, Candio. Devo, Duty Now for the Future. Joy Division's Unknown Pleasures. Nick Lowe's Labor of Lust. The Knack's album, Get the Knack. The Swell Maps release entitled A Trip to Marineville B-52's eponymously titled debut album Me Sex's release entitled Graffiti Crimes and The Flying Lizards eponymously titled The Flying Lizards Wherever you are